0: What's up, everybody? This is the canby Christian Church Podcast. This is an on healthy church episode. That's the series of episodes we're doing through the summer, but the summer's almost over. Mm. And we have three left to go, I think. <laughs> is that right? This yep. is number seven. Right? Well, I mean, it's because we messed up. Well, we did. We We all messed did. up together. Yep.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's how leadership works yeah
0: we all messed up together we yeah. yeah. lost a few recordings
1: right so therefore we lost a few weeks but we're get we're catching up we yeah. want to get through
0: it we're almost there mm-hmm. um I'm Cody I'm Rob I'm Aaron, I'm Aaron. <laughs> Rob. now you all know exactly which voice you're listening to okay because we don't sound the same at all mm-hmm. um this no. is mark number seven biblical yes, church yes, seven, eight, leadership nine, yep. yeah our notes are wrong but this is mark number seven biblical Leadership. Church leadership. What is church leadership? We've started with a definition. Um, On my notes, the definition says, this is kind of complicated. (laughs) (laughs) How do you define (laughs) church leadership? It's complicated. Um, But really, there is uh, some notes. Uh, This is from the Cambridge platform of 1648, and it's written in Old English, and everything's spelled wrong. Um, So we'll just... (laughs) (laughs) we'll just say it uh we'll just say it the way we say it it. but it's true um and it's a really good point that they made that church leadership is kind of a mixed government Mm. if you were to look at it in terms of uh earthly governments it's a mixed government and here's why our church is primarily led by jesus as the sovereign king so in one sense the church is a monarchy Uh, and the instruction uh, for us and His people are given to us in God's Word. Christ is the King, the Head of mm, our church, mm-hmm. and nothing ever changes in mm. that point. He's a so it's, it's a monarchy, but so in that sense, He has final authority, final rule authority over and rule His church over at his all people. times. Yep, right. Um, but then there's another layer in the sense that we are a church of people all together, and we're mm. making decisions together. Um, so our church is also kind of a democracy. Because most uh, most important decisions are made by the voting members, uh, especially in Canby Christian Church, but many mm-hmm. churches also have this. Final decisions made by the voting members of our church uh, who are converted and committed Christians. Mm. And so it's a democracy in that sense that we vote on things and choose together as one people. And then there's also a third layer. Um, our church is guided by the pastors and elders functioning as kind of elected uh, aristocracy right oh. It's a little bit of that too because there's a group of men who are gifted and qualified to lead the church and understand and applying God's words and sometimes they make decisions outside of the church voting on every little thing. Mm-hmm. And so there's kind of a layer of mixed governments as we were talking about before, you know our aristocracy doesn't even really function like that because we've kind of decided that there's a lot of decisions that the elders and pastors can make by themselves. And there's a lot of decisions that we submit to, say, this one's big enough that we want to get the whole church's opinion on before Mm -hmm. we move forward. Mm -hmm. So it really is mixed. And really, each of those layers kind of check each other Mm -hmm. uh, outside of the bottom two checking Christ. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen. Yeah, Christ is the monarch, right? And that supersedes everything. If the congregation agreed and the elders wanted to lead away from the Bible, Mm -hmm. like, christ is still the king right? That's right. we would all go back and submit to the bible mm-hmm. um and really if the aristocracy is leading a certain way the congregation can have a say and vote and uh and we'd have to deal with that mm-hmm. right, um, right and so it's all kind of mixed together uh, but ultimately rob also wanted to know we are elder led but we're congregationally ruled mm-hmm. right and so that kind of plays into those checks and balances also
1: yeah, I think one of the things as I was thinking when you were talking there, maybe someone listening, they like you, Cody, were just saying, you know, you've only been in this model of church leadership
0: and yeah. played out in different ways. But I've always been under a model of their staff and there's elders the and their elders members. make decisions and the members. Get to vote on things that the elders and staff have decided yeah. upon. Yeah. yeah,
1: there's some there's a prese- uh, presentation by the elders of some thing that needs to be voted on and approved by the congregation. Um, but there's a lot of other uh, models of church leadership um, in different denominations, uh, and obviously even outside of the denominations. But when you get into Catholic and Eastern Orthodox, um, I've often said before that one that beyond the gospel that is being preached in that church, the most important thing about a church is its leadership structure, because in regard to how healthy will that church be, um, and, and and the direction that church goes. So somebody walking into a church, let's say, and they're discerning, man, is this a church that I want to be a part of? Is this a church that, uh, I believe, you know, God is going to be working in, they should be looking at, A, what is the gospel that's being preached there? Is the gospel being preached there? And then secondly, what is the leadership structure here? And Because there's a lot of different leadership structures out there. And let me just say right now, there is not a perfect leadership structure that exists. Um, <clears throat> there is actually some wiggle room uh, in the scriptures, which I think is great because it gives... Uh, every church in different cultural contexts, different generational contexts, uh, the ability to lead their people within those, within those contexts and, mm-hmm. and circumstances and things like that. Nevertheless, the Bible has a lot of things to say, and we'll talk yeah. about that, uh, um, about how a church ought to be structured and its leadership. Um, but it is a massively important thing mm-hmm. for
0: health. Um, yeah. Well, even beyond there not being one perfect exact structure, Beyond that, even if there was, that structure would still be filled in with flawed, sinful yes, humans. Yes. You know what I mean? So, even if there was like one exact perfect structure, there would still be mess yeah. and somewhat <coughs> chaotic situations that would arise that would, you know, yeah. cause us to always need to go back yep. to the scriptures, always need to go back to submitting to each other right. and to our, the authority of Christ. In each other you know
1: yeah well uh, as I've said before too, this book um, when he originally wrote it this is its fourth edition when he originally wrote it it was written in the 90s and like almost all books of this nature was a response to the things that was that were going on in the culture at that time particularly the culture in American churches and what I believe he was seeing were two things Um, And I believe this because he's talked about it. Uh, But in his denominations, he's in the Baptist denomination. And what you'll often find within Baptist denominations is that the congregation is not expressing any authority and the elders aren't expressing any authority. Instead, the deacons, who are essentially those who are called to serve the church, um, lead the church by serving, whereas the elders are called to serve the church by leading Um, But all of a sudden, for whatever reason, the deacons are the ones who have the authority to call elders, to not do certain things that the elders believe that the church should be doing. Um, So you'll, you have this uh, imbalance or improper use of authority within the deacon board is what they would call. And maybe some of you listening have been in, in churches and seen that sort of thing happen. Um, and it can get wildly unhealthy when that is taking place. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other mo- uh, leadership model that is, was somewhat new. It was coming around more prom- predominantly in the eighties when people were writing books on how to have a megachurch. Um, but it was what they'd call like the <laughs> Moses model or the CEO model. So all the leadership was localized to one individual. And in one sense, it's kind of hilarious, as Rob, you were saying right before we started recording this, because we're Protestant churches, and yet, it, mm-hmm. it, and the whole idea with the Protestant <clears throat> movement was a they were missing the gospel, and b the office of the Pope is unbiblical. Right. And and yet here they are, you know, 500 years later, going back to this model of a, a somewhat of a pseudo Pope right. within that own local church, right, or or as the multi church models started showing up now all of a sudden that pope is and i'm making a joke i'm being tongue-in-cheek but that that leader is now the pope over five campuses right and making all the decisions and and the reason why that is that happened is because a you have uh secular models coming in you know business models again, the CEO model coming in and saying, hey, you can grow this brand. You can grow this church. All you need to do is get the gifted guy who's who communicates really well. Charismatic. Charismatic guy. Have him come in. And, and it's true. It happened. Churches grew massive. Lots of people um, started attending these services. Um, it's again, much more efficient. It's also yeah, <laughs> yeah, funny. Very
2: efficient. Prag- very efficient. Pragmatism and efficiency was... Yeah. Key over biblical <laughs> yeah. over like, biblical precedent theology. Yeah. It's also
0: funny to describe that as the Moses model. Where yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. let's pick the most gifted communicator right. and build everything that's like not the Moses model. <laughs> I well it's it funny. To, was the opposite of the it, was, Moses it was a model way of putting like a scripture. biblical it was <laughs> a way
1: of putting a biblical phrase yeah. on an unbiblical model, right? But well right. In the how one could sense, it be unbiblical?
0: Moses is in the Bible. Moses was yeah, exactly. <laughs> so
1: it is biblical. Well Moses <laughs> was given like absolute authority by yeah. God. Like he told Moses, we're gonna see this in Exodus. Like basically when you speak, it's like I'm speaking. Yeah. And whenever anyone came up against Moses, it was as if they were coming up against God and they were they were doomed, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of what these guys are looking at. They're saying, If anyone wants to question me, it's as if they're questioning questioning God, you know? Mm-hmm. And and again, that's a way to move forward real fast.
2: Well, and then Jethro, we'll see this in Exodus, comes to him and says, "You can't do everything, Moses." And then Moses appoints for himself leaders. <sighs> right. Well, it, You know, and so that's a part of the model, you know. But ultimately, it goes back to Moses. The big issues go to Moses, but the little ones go to his, uh, you know, right. the people he appoints.
1: Well, Anyways, the, f- the funny thing about that is like the Moses model didn't even work for Moses. <laughs> that that's right. the thing with the Jeth Jethro thing is hey, Moses, this isn't working for you that you literally have the only authority and the only say in anything. Like That's impossible for you to do. Right, right. And it didn't work for Moses. It didn't even work for Moses when he delegated the authority to others. And so we needed a greater Moses, which is the monarchy and it's Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and, And we're under that.
0: Even the Moses, though, it really doesn't apply to anyone who exists today. None of us are speaking so intimately with God. That like we leave our offices and our faces are glowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people. yeah, yeah. like none, like that doesn't apply to any of us. Which also is kind of a, a a decent point that Mark Dever brings up when we are going back to we're gonna we're gonna be a New Testament <coughs> kind of church. You know, we're gonna do what the New Testament church did. Even that doesn't really apply one to one to our context in the sense of we do not have any apostles yeah. anymore. Like the apostles were, you know, making god-breathed scripture mm -hmm, you know that we can and none of us are that kind of leader anymore and so there's still like some like you said it's it needs to be uh let's get it as close to scripture as possible let's use scripture's prerequisites for who should be leading Mm -hmm. um but we can't ever go we're going to do church exactly the new the way they did in the new testament Mm. right
2: Right. Well, I think Timothy then is a really helpful example. Like the book the, of
0: Timothy or the person? No, the Timothy.
2: person, the person and the books, uh-huh. because specifically Paul's talking to Timothy as a church leader. And I think a lot of what Paul says to Timothy and, and Timothy as a, as a church leader is a good example for what we can see. That is a direct connection. Unlike we can't say we're the Apostle Paul or there's any person like him. Mm. But Timothy we can identify directly similar to Timothy sure. as, a, as a new Testament pastor, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, mm-hmm. anyways, but let's get into
1: but we it. We had a question here. What kinds of leadership have we experienced? I mean, I would just say my only other experience, cause I've only been to two churches. Um, the one I was saved in and the one I became a pastor in, in California, that was, as I was just describing a Moses model, um, like explicitly stated they are a Moses model. Uh, and, and you know there like every church model there's positives and negatives to it mm-hmm. when the leader is healthy then things are healthy um but when things get unhealthy then then the whole church feels that unhealth and um uh, and so yeah i came from a leader like a leadership model like that and i was very very happy to move into more of a elder led plurality of elders which we'll get into in a little bit what that means and And a, a church that does meaningful membership and includes the voice of the members, as I saw more of that being a a biblical model and a healthy model uh, a, a model that gives accountability across those different areas. The pastor is accountable to the elders, and the elders are accountable to the congregation. the congregation is accountable to the elders and the pastors, so everybody's accountable to one another mm-hmm. and uh, uh, that just being the uh, and therefore, submitting to one another in in various ways, but that to me seeing as the most helpful and healthy way to move forward as a church um but anyway that that's my only experience yeah. was that and then this
2: I mean, obviously, I was there as well, and I feel like there is a lot of positives in that the direction when it is functioning well is incredibly <coughs> clear mm. it's easy, like things are efficient, right mm-hmm. things are functioning efficiently. Um, but of course the difficulty is without a voice. Um, I often, you know, recognize a lot of people feeling like not needed, not important. They couldn't exercise their spiritual gifts. There was a lot of drawbacks to not having a voice in that congregation. When, when sin arise, mm. when, when leadership fails, the membership is not involved in that. And that creates all kinds of problems. Sure. You know, so there's a lot of drawbacks, but there's a lot of benefits, um, especially when you have a leader who's very effective. But you think about Mars Hill, you know, Mars Hill was exploding and they functioned. In Half this
1: the people listening don't know what Mars Hill is. This was a church in Seattle. Yeah, they don't. Passed by a guy named Mark. Dude, <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people don't know. Yeah, Mars Hill's. Uh, you either know and you know or you don't know. I would I would think. I've talked to a lot of people who don't know. Oh, that's interesting. Anyways, I more, mean, if yeah. you were
0: a Christian in Washington in, like, I don't the know. The mid-2000s? Yeah, yeah. then You, you, knew, you knew about it. You yeah, know, Washington. yeah, yeah. If you were you like at least a, know their music.
2: Yeah, if you were a Christian in America, like, at one point in the early if 2000s. You were bol- if you were under the age of 40. That's true. I guess younger <laughs> folks would yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, he was a pastor, and well, continues to be a pastor, but he was a pastor in the Northwest up here in Washington, um, north of us. And he actually did have an elder. He began led by elders. But, no, no, no,
1: no. He yeah. began Moses' model. No, no, no. Are you sure?
2: Yes. He, We're
1: disagreeing right now.
2: No, he began with a board of elders, but at a certain point, they changed their bylaws, which was one of the big mm. issues to put Mark Driscoll as more of a, you know, the Moses model. a dictator, essentially, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. what... Eventually, ha- it, at any rate, there's another podcast apart. if you yeah. want more details.
0: If you want to listen to uh, another podcast, it's not ours. It's hard. I, I don't. I don't. To, we,
2: uh, we, we, we. I don't
1: advocate the podcast. The yeah. other one. <laughs> yeah.
2: At any rate, that was a model that I listened sort to of, it as a
1: guilty pleasure more than anything.
2: It was. It was. It's an interesting. If you're interested in this kind of thing, it especially church polity, because there's a huge thread. Of polity that.
1: meaning church government, structure. government, how yeah. the, yeah, how
2: the church functions in its leadership. Mm-hmm. But anyways, that was a, a model similar. And it, it, when it falls apart, it, it destroys people, you know, oh, like yeah. in a serious way. Yeah. At any rate, those are a few drawbacks. I experienced that as well. Um, in addition to that, uh, when I was first becoming a Christian, it was, it was a church that was very small a church plant and it basically functioned like the Moses model, but there was no oversight. And so it was a very, it was a wild west kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> wild after, west. I'll just say that because there's a bunch of young kids that didn't know what they're doing. A young pastor who was kind of r- like leading everything. He had input from other people, but he just kind of did his own thing and didn't have a great deal of an ability to really lead the church. But at any rate, and then I when I planted out of harvest and I was helping a friend of ours plant a church in Santa Barbara, that then was the first experience I'd ever had. And I did a lot of study and research at that time on church polity. Um, with a congregational church, which was, it was a Baptist church, um, congregationally, uh, ruled elder led. Um, of course when you were planting though, he, uh, you know, Daniel was the only,
1: he was the only elder,
2: but he had a leadership team which comprised people who were elected from that church not particularly as elders. It was sort of this quasi, and this happens in church plants, which I know Cody, you have some experience with this, so you might talk about this. But anyways, that in that context, members voted. It was the first time I ever became a voting member of a church. And it was a, it was a really great experience. Um, and from then on, I've been a part of congregational churches, mm-hmm. which is the name for the polity that we, uh, you know, function as. Mm-hmm. Uh, a church that is led by elders, but ultimately ruled by members who vote and participate. So that's kind of my experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cody, you grew up in this.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've always been a part, not always, but mostly been a part of non-denominational Christian churches that from my experience kind of do this model. Like most of them have had this same model. Um, The amount of say elders get in how staff operate, obviously, you know, kind of ebbed and flowed, uh, depending on the church. But they all kind of had this general model: the congregation could vote on things, the elders and pastors would decide and make most decisions on their own, and then bring it to the congregation. Um, and so this has been a similar model. But I mean, I grew up in a church um, that that did this, and then I, you know, I can remember. Uh, very clearly seeing the checks and balances that happen because we had a, uh, our my f- dad was an elder in that church, and the elder and and staff it was uh the church had stagnated quite a bit, and uh and they were looking at this church in our town that was multi campus and doing really cool things and it seemed like lots of people were coming to Christ and they said like what if we joined that church they have you know they kind of wanna. Uh, you know, adopt us under there, we're struggling, and uh, all the elders and staff wanted to make that decision. One elder didn't, and you saw the kind of ugliness of you know, church life as people are mad at each other and stirring up division. Mm. Um, but ultimately, the congregation said no, voted no, we're not doing that. And and I was saying to Rob earlier, that's a painful thing for a, a staff and a and an elder board to experience like the your congregation is not following you but then looking back that church that looked like it was doing great things on the surface as you know people like even staff from that church got involved in that church uh it wasn't going (laughs) super well there either and so it would have been kind of a chaotic situation for them to have absorb it you're talking about the multi-site church the multi-site church that they were voting not to be absorbed right Um, and so it was it was an interesting thing though because the elders and the staff were like these people aren't following us Mm -hmm. so they all stepped down you know and and those staff actually were given positions at that other church and they quit them really quickly because it wasn't also wasn't a healthy church it was just big and it was baptizing a lot of people but there was a lot of like not great things happening mm-hmm. there you know and so i it does make you you know so like in in the long run that congregation did a great thing voting no that's right um but then that church went on to, to struggle for a while yeah. like and i don't know maybe it's still struggling today i don't know um and so it's kind of an interesting thing like i wonder what what could have been different what could have could we have voted no and then that elder group said, well, obviously we have to make some change, you know, and like come Mm. up with something else together. I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that's the thing like that, that mechanism of the congregation being able to democratically vote on something can be really painful for an elder board and a staff Mm -hmm. to experience, but it's a a pretty necessary pain Mm -hmm. to keep a church healthy. Mm -hmm. Although I don't know how healthy that one was, but maybe that's just the fact that it's flawed people, Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. you know?
1: Well, and that just goes back to the point, there's no perfect church model. Um, And even if there was, they wouldn't exercise it perfectly. And you know because there's going to be people in there and we only make decisions off of the information that we have and sometimes we don't have all the information like those elders you were just describing and the staff they were making decisions off of information that they that they had had they had more information about that larger church they wanted to join they probably wouldn't have even considered it mm. um, when they realized very quickly that that church actually this large church though it looks healthy is very unhealthy yeah and
0: well and and even that i don't know maybe that church was healthy at the time they were going to absorb us but now we all know for sure that it became unhealthy right you know i don't know and part of that could be because of their leadership model it was able to become unhealthy very quickly you know but yeah well nothing nothing goes unhealthy super
1: quickly (laughs) you know what i'm saying I mean, in the sense that you know, <laughs> pastors don't fall, you know, overnight. They were, yeah,
0: overnight. Right. They're not in lockstep with the Lord, and then exactly. cheating on their wife, and they don't. There's know a slow
1: erosion, and there was trust. <laughs> me, there was happen? already unhealth yeah. in that church before. Right. Um. But yeah, I mean, there. You have to work hard intentionally at all of these things. Yeah. So even what we're doing here, we have to go back as a. There's a expression that comes out of the Reformation uh, the church is always reforming right we're always going back to Scripture you know annually looking at ourselves saying hey are we are we doing what we have said five years ago we want to keep doing because this is what scripture is saying have we drifted um, have we experienced mission drift have we experienced polity drift like are we doing the things that worse we believe scripture is teaching us to do and I think that those are important seasons and times and questions, certainly to, to ask ourselves. Um, but there's a lot of leadership models out there and some of them are healthy, even though they're like not, uh, doing the same kind of model we're, we're doing. Some of them are doing the model we're doing and, and are unhealthy because they aren't doing it intentionally. Right. Um, all, all that to say is, as we've already outlined, our desire is to have elder led, uh, which ultimately functions under the sovereign rule of Christ and, and his word. Mm-hmm. And we also have members who have the final authority over big decisions that our church makes. For example, when I, the, the elders didn't just hire me when I was coming on five years ago. The elders did the sort of search process and then basically put that new candidate, which in that case was me, before the congregation. And the congregation had to approve or vote for saying, yes, this is the guy that we believe God is calling to uh, lead and pastor our church. Every uh, year or whenever the Lord raises up, we, um, we as an elder team nominate new elders. We don't just make elders and put them in those positions. We also have to submit those people to the congregation and say, hey, is this somebody that you believe God is calling uh, as and has gifted to lead this church? In faithfulness and is qualified in all of these things uh, our church votes on uh, changes of bylaws which is really the our, our document that sort of unifies us together uh, that's based in Scripture but it's it essentially assigns who we are um, as a church and uh, we vote on the budget which is sort of a practical transparent step Um, that we want to take in order to show that we are accountable to one another and so that that, that the church can see our vision through dollars. Um, So that's one of the big things. And if we were to buy and sell property, these are the kinds of things that the congregation would vote on. Um, I remember a guy asked me, um, so who owns that church over there? (laughs) Like some guy I was playing golf (laughs) with or something like that. I'm like, the church owns the church. What are you talking about? And uh, obviously I was being facetious. It's it's an interesting question. But yeah, I, uh, there are some church models. Like uh, when I was back in Chicago, we were talking about the historically black churches and uh, culturally black churches in America. Like it's literally owned by the pastor. And it's a name on the deed. like literally his name. Yeah. Yeah. What's the name on the deed of our church? Uh I think it's, it's just First Christian Church and yeah it's yeah. just like incorporated it's incorporated people yeah. of yeah,
0: yeah. Huh, interesting yeah I think it's I've never literally never thought about that like the actual legal document yeah, I've never right. thought of yeah
1: yeah the articles of incorporation actually has the church as a congregational uh church and it is yeah it's an incorporated First Christian Church of Canby wow. um
2: so we couldn't sell this building unless the members who make up the corporation vote Yes, yeah, to sell. And the I building. think it
1: has to be a super majority too, yeah, like seventy five percent or something like yeah. that, or any of our that.
2: properties that we own because they're all owned by the members of the church. yeah, the incorporation, collectively. yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, so which is this really goes beyond the discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a, there's yeah, a lot we can say here. My but.
0: bad. What's the legal mechanism? What if we all die <laughs> at the same time? Who gets it? <laughs> the church would still have <laughs> all of. What do you mean all? Like like every the entire member? congregation oh. died at the same time? Then who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who cares at that point, dude? All right, moving on. Oh my gosh, anyone could
1: take over the building at that point. I'm in heaven, dude. What does it matter? <laughs> Uh, yeah, but there's a lot of scriptural references. We've listed them down here. Matthew 18, which is the famous text on church discipline. Um, if you have an issue with your brother, take it to your brother. If he won't listen, bring a, bring a buddy with you who's a witness yeah. and can speak into the situation. And if they won't listen to that person, bring it to the church, right? They're the final authority over whether or not this person uh, is demonstrating faith, saving faith. And if they're not, then they ought to be excommunicated from the church, right? That's a a disciplinary situation, but showing also that the church has final authority um, in in matters even of discipline. Uh, Which we talked about in detail. In uh, the discipline. Last week or two weeks? uh, Last last week. week. Last week. week. No, two Uh, weeks ago. Two weeks ago. (laughs) Two episodes ago. Um, And then also the church choosing for themselves leaders. This is in Acts 6, 2 through 5, when the apostles devoted themselves to prayer and the word. Um, the church selected amongst themselves those who would serve the widows. Um, And of course they chose some really godly men to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, a disciplinary case in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul chides the church, not the pastor, not the elders, but the church for allowing this really rampant you know, heinous sin to go on that that was going on in the church at the time, and he called on the church to u- ultimately exercise the discipline in that situation. Um, but anyway, there's all kinds of um, texts yeah. that we can. Well, point then later,
2: to. I mean, I think that you know, most people think it's the same person in view, although there's a debate in Second Corinthians when this person is being restored. brought back in and yeah. restored. It he he uses that term that they were disciplined by the majority where. You know, a lot of people say that we don't see voting in the Bible, and that's true. There's no explicit text of, and they gathered together and wrote their names on papers and and said yes or no to this vote or that vote. But we see this word, the majority, which would indicate to us that there is some people, the majority of the group of people said yes.
0: People are voicing their opinions somehow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How that specifically
2: Mm -hmm. happens, how the vote is taken or how their majority is collected, it's not really indicated, but we see that in the Bible. And so I think that's important to note because Mm -hmm. when I was growing up in, you know, Moses model churches, they'll often say that kind of thing. There's no voting in the Bible. That's just something that you Americans came up with because it's a new phenomenon and not necessarily the case, but anyways. Yeah. And then I think Galatians one's a really good one too, because the apostle Paul is telling the Galatians church, even if I... The Apostle Paul come to you with a different gospel. You know, I it's should be your accursed.
1: responsibility. You church to hold me accountable. Yeah, to false teaching. Mm-hmm. The
2: church holds the Apostle accountable to the true gospel, which is—it's crazy to think about. I mean, obviously, he's—it's a little bit hyperbolic, but he's telling them, "You, the church, have the authority." to um to you know to demonstrate or what is the true gospel versus not even if an angel he says come to you you know and yeah. so anyways i don't know there's there's many more we could go into but yeah. we, we we think pretty um seriously that this is a biblical model and that's sure. why we follow
1: it well but, i'll give an example on that um there there's a guy in our church now um who who started attending he, he him and his family left another church because, and I'll just be explicit, they left the church because that church was, quote unquote, going woke, right? And they discovered this like during 2020 and they, they were hearing weird things from the pulpit, right? Uh, sort of the that secular zeitgeist, you know, the, the spirit of the age today, that's the sort of message going out even, you know, in pulpits. This woke critical race theory sort of idea, what we would talk about more of an extreme left view, um, that there's a lot of what things that we would advocate for, like we don't advocate for um, racism, right? Like discrimination. That's discrimination, prejudice. No, like not, not these cool. are things in the Bible. We also agree with that. But the narrative and the way it's communicated in critical race theory, we disagree with. So they were hearing things in the language. Of critical race theory in this church and and this person again this church did not practice church membership um, like official church membership nevertheless this person who had been attending this church for a while was involved had relationships did the right thing went to a leader and said hey these are the things I'm hearing can you please explain what is going on and uh and and, and sorry, I just got a phone call (laughs) and, and, uh, you know, heard some things that he didn't necessarily like. And so he was like, Hey, can, can I have another conversation with, you know, a few of you had another conversation and got more affirmed that this church was going in that direction, what he believed to be an unbiblical direction and said, Hey, because of the things I'm hearing, I can no longer continue to attend here. Now, of course, in that scenario, he only has two choices either a to try and reform the church by staying there or if he doesn't see any avenue for that happening then you just got to leave and so uh, clearly the first option wasn't on the table so he opted for the second one and and left and in that sense every member does have a vote even if they don't have an official way to vote because as Dever puts in here and even as our last pastor said at our last church every church has a membership they vote with their funds or with their feet if you don't like something you'll stop giving or you'll stop coming if you like what's happening here then you will give and you will come and show up here and participate and so in that sense eventually you know if enough people start leaving eventually the leadership has to start listening wow clearly we're we aren't going in the right direction and, and unfortunately, it has to be painful like that when you don't mm. do meaningful membership, when you don't do intentional membership and allow people to have a voice before they you know, leave yeah. or stop giving. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I thought right. that yeah. was...
0: Wouldn't you prefer to have some sort of mechanism before yes. most of my church leaves? Of course, <laughs> Like Absolutely. some other way of voicing an opinion. Well, another problem with I, that, I would agree with that. Yeah. Another
2: problem with that, though, is people do vote with their feet and their funds. So if they do come and they are giving... Perhaps they're doing that for the wrong reason, right? Isn't that what he's sort of talking about, uh, the Apostle Paul, when he says like they gather for themselves teachers? You know, they have itching ears to hear what they want to hear, and so they're coming to your church and they're giving you money because you're saying the things that they like, which are not actually biblical or scriptural. And so, in that sense, you're getting the vote in the in that way, and that's a negative thing. Like I and I think of. Osteen. You know, he's got a huge church. They're all there, but they're all there because they like the prosperity gospel. Mm. They like the false gospel and they're eating it up. That's not a good thing.
1: Yeah. yeah. But anyways, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And the, and they should be holding them accountable, but they're not. Um because they like it. But I, that's where I would fail to uh call them a church. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're not exactly. preaching the right. They're yeah. not preaching the gospel yeah. there. Yeah. Um we'll move on here. We've got another <laughs> segment or section of this discussion on biblical church leadership again there's a lot of models out there both in its structures but here's another question what are the biblical qualifications for church leadership so we're talking about those who are actually called to be elders uh pastors even deacons um the bible is pretty explicit about these things um if you turn to timothy first timothy and titus uh paul lays out the qualifications for the men that are to lead and serve as elders or the men and or women to serve as deacons or deaconesses in the church and there is obviously debate on all of these things uh and i'll just be clear like we here are a complementarian church he actually talks about this in the book about our egalitarian age these are big words so let me just describe them as simply as i've described them egalitarianism and complementarianism has to do with gender roles, uh, in the society, in the home, in the church. Um, egalitarianism sort of has this really simple thing. Men and women are equal and the same, meaning they hold the same form or function. Uh, complementarianism would say men and women are equal, but different in role and function that is God designed from creation. And so anyway, it's, it's, there's debate on these things uh, we here hold to and teach and lead with a complementarian view um, but in the qualifications of an elder Paul's pretty clear that they are to be men uh, men of good reputation husbands of one wife these kinds of things um, when it shifts over to the discussion of deacons uh, we see that they could also be women Um, but men holding the same qualifications. They have good reputation, not Mm -hmm. new Christians, these kinds of things. Um, But even elsewhere at the end of Romans, Phoebe was referred to as a deaconess of the church that she was at. Um, So this has to do with the biblical qualifications and who can and can't serve in leadership positions. Um, So here we call men to be elders and pastors, and uh, we also call women to serve As ministry coordinators and and leaders in various capacities women teach here but they don't teach on the Sunday pulpit we were just having a discussion with somebody this last week on this uh, topic it is really one of the dominating subjects uh, in our culture today particularly here in the Northwest um, this subject of complementarianism and, and egalitarianism and there's extremes on both sides, right? You can go, I, I, I like to say complementarianism and egalitarianism are more two group of people holding hands. Uh, they're closer together than they, we often think they should be so far apart. We're a polarized society right now. But there's an extreme complementarianism, which is more male chauvinism and fundamentalist chauvinism. And then on the other side, you've got egalitarianism that's just like fully like left wing progressive liberal kind of ideal feminism really it's christian feminism well they've lost or all beyond like,
0: gender doesn't exist at right, all right gender doesn't right. exist
1: yes that yeah. that would be another way so you've got extremes on both sides and i think it's important to not define these words by their extremes cuz they're not that they're more they're closer together than they are far apart nevertheless we lean here on the side of complementarianism again that men and women are equal in that they men and women bear the image of god Mm -hmm. equally sinful (laughs) we've sinned before god um equally valuable equally valuable before god uh we need one another we're dependent on one another um these kinds of things one is not better than the other nevertheless god has called men to a certain role and function in the home and society in the church specifically and women as well and we need women in their leadership and women need men in their leadership and we want to value these god-given roles versus diminish them by flattening it uh and making it all the same which Mm. is what i i and many others would say an egalitarian view would be doing do you guys have any comments on that no, beyond, no. I just—I mean, it all going I just
2: said it. beyond the that very important topic, which I think you handled well. But the next thing is the fact that um, the when you look at the verses in Timothy and in Titus, the emphasis is not on the abilities of the leader necessarily, but on the character, yeah, of yeah, the yeah, person, yeah. which I think is an important thing to to highlight. Right. Right, yep, right? which is
0: like, it reiterates some of the Moses model flaws that we right. were talking about that, that this is some
1: highly gifted yes. highly charismatic person who is clearly head and
0: shoulders above the rest right and it's a problem with all churches mm-hmm. you know all it's a problem with all groups mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like it's a, a charles barkley you know said like i'm not a role model and everyone didn't like him for that but that's what we do right when right. we see someone who's charismatic talented talented we go i want that guy to tell me how to live my life. <laughs> right. And, uh, and you know, Charles Barkley didn't want that pressure. But really, like, just being talented at a particular thing. I mean, we do it with musicians all the time, too, right? right? Like, right. someone who's really good at, like, music, they get to uh, at somewhat take a certain leadership place in the church. Oh, yeah. And they get a microphone, and sometimes you run into things. Just because someone's really musically talented doesn't mean they're going to say biblical things into the microphone, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it just, it just can happen that way.
2: Or even in culture, musicians are politically very active and why? And we respect their opinions. Exactly.
0: Athletes. We respect their opinions about politics and they may or may not know anything about politics. Yeah. But they have a Twitter account with a blue check mark next to it, right? So and the so Bible cares cool.
2: <laughs> much more about the character of right. a particular Christian, and there, yeah. it's it's you know laid out there in multiple ways. The one thing that is explicitly talked about in Tim- in Timothy with an elder versus a deacon is the ability to teach. So mm-hmm. a deacon does explicitly have uh, you know this ability is demonstrated the ability to teach. The you Bible. mean an elder has the an elder, yeah. 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 So that's I think that might be the only you yeah. look at it, but the where it's talking about a specific ability, whereas the rest of it is their character, the fruit of the mm-hmm. spirit that's demonstrated within them. And so I think that's important to to
1: to look at um, it's, with regard it's, to leadership. I remember having this discussion with a friend one time, um, like sometimes like I think an elder and a deacon like Paul is setting a high bar mm-hmm. for for this. And but I think sometimes we take that to a bit of an extreme, like as if we are looking for this super charismatic, super talented person to lead. And what that does is it often uh, hinders us from looking at the average guy Mm -hmm. in our church, the average person in our church um, who actually has uh, demonstrated leadership qualities, but maybe isn't doing so in uh, ways that we culturally discern them like from the world or these kinds of things. But I remember had this, having this discussion with a friend and he was like, yeah, the, the bar is high. But at the same time, if you really look at the list, like what is he saying? Like just make sure he's not a new Christian, <laughs> right. make sure he's not a drunk, uh, make sure his family life is pretty good. Uh, you know, it's, he's not like making this list. That's like Im- an impossible bar. It's not an impossible bar. It's, it's just a realistic, like this guy's just living the Christian life. Mm-hmm. He's not a perfect person, not by any means, but he's clearly showing that he loves God. He loves people. God is working in his life. He's willing to serve. He knows the scriptures, um, you know, raise up that guy. That That's the average person, you know? And I think that's a helpful word to church planters because church planters, you know, they're hesitant to raise up elders because... You know, when they're looking at 50 people in the room, they probably don't have a lot of really gifted, talented, charismatic people there. Um, or but less. That, Most but, start
2: with less than 50. But I'm saying if yeah. they get
1: to the point where they have 50, dude, there may be someone in that room oh, that yeah. you should raise up to be an elder in your church. And they're slow because the bar is so high. And But even in a small church of you know our size where it's around 200 people... Uh, I mean, I, I've taken it upon myself to train and, and lead people, but if I see a guy <laughs> I guess this is, this is exposing my the way I'm looking at things. If I see a guy and he you know becomes a member of the church, and he clearly has a love for his wife and he loves the church, and he's teachable. Man, I'm looking at him like maybe God's calling this guy to be an elder in two to three years. And yeah. I'm gonna invest as much as I can in that guy. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care how old he is. Uh I don't care you know how how deep his relationships are. I don't care what his if business he's a, like, yeah, if his how a, much money he has. Exactly. I don't <laughs> yeah. care what his giving report looks like. I don't care about any of those things. Uh I I look at someone and I say, Man, here's a guy. He loves Jesus and he loves his church and he's committed here. I'm going to I'm going to invest as much as I can and who knows maybe he'll just be a really good life group leader maybe he'll be a deacon maybe he'll be an elder maybe he'll just be a great member of the church and never be any of those things but maybe out of a group of guys and I am so thankful right now to have a ton of all of those guys like mm-hmm. we've got great yeah. life group leaders That's right true. now we have invested in in these men and and the women are investing in the women but i say that to say you know the the bar is set high but that doesn't mean we have to like like, because i think a lot of churches wait for really gifted men to show up no it's our job to train and equip them to do the work of ministry that's the calling of a pastor Mm -hmm. so who is in front of me that is just like a blank slate and i can jump in there and i can train and equip and help them grow to fulfill their their purposes that god is calling them to do
2: it's like the character bar is high the ability bar the ability bar can be low but Mm -hmm. if they have a solid biblical character and even if there's obviously we all have you know room to be shaped yeah totally but that is you're looking at that first (laughs) yeah primarily you know what i mean yeah i think that's that's wise yeah Yeah. but i think
1: that's an important thing to think about um. Do we, we have this last section here? Unless you had a comment on that. No, I was
0: say it, but it, yeah, it, it is. It's the character, and you can see that when you go down the list. Like you see, how does this person deal with their family? Is like right. an important thing because that's probably different than how they deal with you as your their pastor. And so when you're you're getting to that character or like all of the. Uh, Dever points out that if you go down the list, so many of them are others Mm center. Is this person a servant to others? Does this person care about other people? Hospitable. You know, and so, yeah, those are the things that's going to make your church healthy Mm. more than having the most talented speakers Mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (sighs) Rob has this. uh, Unfortunately, those listening can't see this cool little picture that Rob has in our notes. (laughs) Rob's clip art. You want to yeah. go
2: all the way there?
1: Isn't that the next section? Uh,
2: no. Well, is church leadership just a oh, skill that can be yes. learned? Like, could, could, can we you just discussing. go to, to Bible school and then wow, you become a pastor? Wow, this is a great faster. question, actually. Yeah, or, yeah, that's how I did it. Or, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think this was an interesting thing in Devor's book where he says this is a, a gift. It's a gift of grace. Mm. Leadership is a gift. It's not, you know, which I wouldn't initially think. But when I was reading it, I thought it was really... It was a really good, insightful thing that he brought up. Is it just a skill we can learn, this leadership ability, or yeah. is it a gift of God that needs to be cultivated through discipleship, through, through uh, you know, sanctification? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, that's a, that is a really good. Because
2: um you were just mentioning these group of guys, and a part of it is discerning, do they have the gift of leadership? Or are they just gifted and skilled or, you know what I mean? Or maybe they don't have that particular gift, which is a spiritual gift. We see this in Romans. We see it, uh, you know, in Corinthians, obviously. We see 2 Timothy 1.6. Paul talks to Timothy and he says, he, you know, this, this pastoral ministry you have is a gift given to you, yes. laid on of hand. So it's clear in the Bible that it's more than just something you can, you know, take a course on and then you become a pastor or you become a church leader. Right. Mm -hmm. so that's kind of, I think, what he's getting at, which is an important thing for us to at least make a quick note of.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, Paul's word to Timothy, too, about not neglecting the gift that has been given to him, Mm -hmm. um, that was given to him through the laying on of my hands, Paul is saying to Timothy, And I think that's one of the things is like the church is the one responsible to raise up church leaders, not seminaries, Mm. not parachurch ministries, not even the individual themselves. Um, But leaders are the ones, leaders in the church are the ones that are called to equip and lead others toward leadership and to cultivate those gifts that are in them. Of course, eventually we have to do that same thing for ourselves, right? We're not being bottle fed here, Um, but it, but it's not again it's not on someone else or even on uh the seminary to raise up leaders for your church like the church should be doing that um raising up people from amongst themselves mm-hmm. to lead but yeah i think some young guys you know they go to school you know they uh, when i was getting my undergraduate i was in school with 18 year old kids who were like oh i want to be a pastor one day i'm like dude you don't even know who you are you don't even know what that means you know i was 29 and I didn't even really know who I was at and the time. And you were a you know? pastor already. And I was a pastor already. I'm like, dude, I don't even know what I'm doing. Um, But yeah, it is a little bit uh nerve-wracking to see some of these young kids aspiring to leadership in the church. And I'm like, I don't even think you know what you're asking, bro. Like, you're asking to jump into the spiritual fire here, you know? Um, But I think it is important to think about, no, this is something God calls you to. Because mm-hmm. people have an identity crisis when you know they feel this call and they feel called to be a leader they even call themselves maybe oh I feel like I'm called to be a pastor or I sure. am a pastor it's like well where's your church and and what church called you to be their pastor what what does that even mean it's just the way people dis- define and describe certain things um, in one sense yes it is a skill that can be learned through education through experience at the same time this isn't like accounting. Uh, or real estate, or, you know, investments, or any of those things, right? Carpentry. This is carpentry, <laughs> yeah. This is something that God has to cultivate in you mm-hmm. um, through a, a unique calling uh, on your life, through His, you know, the work of His Spirit in someone. Um, yeah. So it's it's kind of both and, but it's also completely dependent on God and what, what He is doing. We are, you know, pastors are a gift to the church, as outlined in Ephesians Four. Right, that's right. the passage I was thinking of the last podcast. I was thinking about the marriage one. But anyway, Ephesians 4. That's more right. <laughs> anyway.
2: What does um, is, is church leadership look like in practice? That's what you were talking about. Um, yes. Dever has a little acrostic... Which he says, church leadership is boss. Boss, yeah, dude,
0: that's boss, man. <laughs>
2: that's funny. Which
0: is, ha, we should bo- bring that. back. Boss
2: kind of has like a negative connotation, though. Like, oh my boss, you know, like doesn't
1: it? Don't you think? Does it for you? Unless you're the boss, then you're like, dude, I'm boss. <laughs> that's true. Saying, Does that's it for <laughs> you? Does it for you, Rob? I mean, for me, my boss. Boss
0: has a negative connotation for you. He's always yeah, cracked, exactly. cracking the whip, <laughs> dude. Oh my goodness. Anyways,
2: he, he breaks f- those four words, B-O-S-S, boss, into four different uh, elements, I guess, of what um, how church leadership is Christ-like. The first one being boss, which is kind of funny. Like, your acrostic is boss, and you start and with the, the word boss. the first word is boss. Yeah, boss, which basically he's saying a, bo- a, a leader of the church ultimately has to make some, you know, commands. He, he, there needs to be responsibility. Actions need to be taken things need to get done and so and right. some the leader will say we will do this and he will take responsibility for those actions and that's kind of what he's getting at initially which is probably what most of us think when we think about
1: a boss right well um, i mean on that point i'll speak into that because yeah, i am the boss you are the boss kind of but i but i'll say it this way jesus is, i oh, yeah true. jesus is the ultimate you know he does whatever he wants to do right whether whatever decision I make, he's going to still usurp that decision. Well, your decision is in line with him. That's the
2: goal. Hopefully. That's, right. <laughs> yeah, that is the goal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, uh, not by definition. Like not no, the, no, no. The le- everything the pastor does is in line no, with Christ. Yeah, that's yeah. not like by definition. Right. But when you make a decision, ideally. you're thinking
2: WWJD. That's what you're thinking. Yeah. What would Jesus do? Anyways, I'm ahead.
1: saying more like, you know, in those decisions that you make that are like unclear like, you know, you can obviously go to the Bible and say, this is what the Bible says we should do. And you feel, you know, you can sleep at night knowing you're in line with scripture, but you make decisions. I I mean, I make decisions every day, every week. Like, I don't know, like COVID. I I didn't know what to do in that. I mean, I can look at the scriptures and say this, you know, in this case, I think this is probably the wisest thing that we can do. And I mean, we as an elder team made all the decisions on that. I made suggestions but at the end of the day, I felt like I was assuming the responsibility of every decision made, and, and I was going to wear that. And there's very few people that like, take on that level of responsibility mm-hmm. um, for the decisions that are made. But I would, I would hope that all of us, to some degree, would assume the responsibility of growing the church, discipling the members, holding one another accountable... Like we need to assume the responsibility of that. I believe that God grows his church. I also believe I assume the responsibility to grow his church, <laughs> you know, like, right, right. A- and I'm committed to that. You know, like I can't just sit with my feet up on the desk and say, watch, watch God grow his church. No, I actually need to work and do the things that he's called me to do. Um, but I'm, I'm just teeing off a little bit on this, that yeah. somebody has to make a decision In weird situations, like COVID was an example of that. Oh, yeah. And you have to wear the responsibility of it. And let's say sometimes, like, I'm just going to be honest, I don't regret a single decision that we (laughs) made during COVID. Like, we made the best decisions with the amount of information that we had in a weird time. Now, I know there are a lot of other pastors that do feel regret. They didn't open... Uh, soon enough they stayed closed too long or they just were you know they just made decisions that they at this point would regret a little bit in which they had made a, a different decision um, and so they bear the responsibility for that and they maybe some of them have apologized for it or whatever that and that's what I'm talking about is mm-hmm. if yeah. you make a bad decision um, that now you have new information it's kind of your responsibility to go back and apologize and and yeah. own that and communicate that And you have,
2: you have done that. There are decisions you do regret, but they're
1: not specifically with COVID. I'm saying in, in your ministry in general, like, yeah, I mean, if there's a really big one that affected a lot of people, like, I mean, a year after I was here, there was a, a big struggle. Um, and, and a lot of that was based on misinformation from the leadership that was here at the time. And, and they apologized for that those decisions that, yeah. and that communication that they had. And that was the right thing to do. And I'll never forget, uh, Ron Enos, who's one of our members here, you know, when that happened, when the elders stood up and made that public apology, you know, he as just a member was like that right there is godly leadership. <laughs> and he stood up and he, he called on the whole, He con- was literally in a Sunday meet, uh, uh, Sunday service where he called on the whole congregation just right there from the pew was like, I want all of you to forgive these men and to, I'm going to walk up and I'm gonna give them all a hug and blah, blah, blah. And it was amazing. Like, but none of that would have happened had these leaders mm. not assumed the responsibility and yeah. even apologize for the, for the mistakes that was made. Um, yeah, that's boss. that affected the leadership transition. That, <laughs> that is boss. That right is there. boss. Unfortunately, yeah. the leaders that I've experienced of a maybe a former generation, they make bad decisions and they never apologize. They yeah. never apologize. They just they redefine it. Move they on. recategorize. They move on, and that that is weak, not courageous leadership. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, you know we we want to attempt to not do that sort yeah. of yeah. And that leads no. into
2: the second one. The O out front is what Dever says, which is basically taking initiative, setting the example. That's right. You're the person who's out in front. Which is yeah. All the the elders are are doing that, setting the example for the membership. Um, well, it's leadership
1: via imitation, right? Like Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And we want to lead. We want to call our people to do the things that we also are doing right. Yeah. We're not asking them to do something that I wouldn't do. Mm. And anyway, I think that's important. Yeah. For and that's sure. your
0: nice little clip art.
1: Kind of well, that's
2: at the service, but supply. That's true. We'll, we'll go over our clip art. Okay, yeah, yeah. The, we'll the, get
0: there. I'm jumping ahead, boss. The, so we have boss, S. B is boss, O is out front, S is
2: supply. So that's basically Ephesians four eleven through twelve. That the 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 church has been given leaders to equip the saints, educate them, give them resources to be more like Christ. That's what and we to do. do ministry and yeah. Well, that's to serve. serve one another. Yeah, the final is serve. Well, it literally says there.
1: In your word, there give resources to the members to do the ministry. Oh,
2: okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah right. So Ephesians we four. we supply everyone to give to to do the ministry. We don't do all the ministry right. in the church, which is a common misconception. Exactly that the pa- that we pay the pastors to do the ministry. We just hang out. That's not the way no. the Bible talks about right <laughs> church and ministry in general. If Ephesians we, four, we
1: train you, help you to do the ministry God has called you to do right. in the church. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: that's what's explicitly talked about there. And then finally serve church leaders must exhibit sacrificial servant leadership, which is modeled by Christ. We see this most, probably the example that comes to my mind is when Jesus got down and washed the disciples feet, uh, in the book of John in the gospels. And, uh, he was leading the church or, or his, his disciples, but he was also serving them as well. Of course, um, You know jesus says famously that he didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many uh this is where the clip art comes in which you may have seen sort of two different models of leadership authoritarian leadership or the or the common idea of what a boss is sort of standing on um the mission sometimes it's like a chariot or whatever this is like a block a boss is standing there pointing at everyone telling them to pull the rope pull the mission make it happen and not doing anything just pointing and telling and yet servant leadership looks like the boss is in the front pulling along with his his members his coworkers, oh, his man. employees and uh making the mission successful by also leading and doing but anyways yeah i think those are a few things to mention as far as what leadership practically looks like and i um you know we don't do each of these things perfectly um but by god's grace we we try to do these as best we can um mm-hmm. and so i think i'm grateful in the leadership of the year i've been here from all the elders and also the directors in different positions in our church, the women who lead in the women's Bible study. I see this throughout, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that's that's that. The last thing we wanted to hit on is why is it so important to have biblical church leadership? Why is that such a big deal?
1: Haven't we already (laughs) answered it? Kind of. Gosh, I mean, (laughs) this whole thing, dude, we just answered this question.
2: Yeah, we really did. We spent an hour. It's a lot of pitfalls. The thing that Dever points out is that it ultimately demonstrates or displays God's character and God's nature properly. And this goes back to what we were talking about with Mm -hmm. failure in leadership. Very often, people outside of the church will see failure in leaders of the church and point to and see, see your God is not actually true. That's right. Because your pastors are saying one thing and living another thing and so it's important that we get this right so that we we can uh rightly you know. display the good attributes of
1: God exactly yeah yeah mm. and I, and that is and i mean one of the examples he says is uh about marriage right in ephesians 5 now i'm not ephesians 5 anymore. yes okay <laughs> he says god didn't give the church so that we can understand marriage he gave marriage so that we can understand the church mm. and love and submission and honoring uh these kinds of things and when we when the elders and the pastors train uh, sacrifice for and also submit to on various occasions the congregation um, that's healthy because the congregation is called to respond in the same way to honor to respect to trust to submit to um, their leadership and in by doing so we a show that we are actually redeemed people and B, show the character of God. Jesus himself submitted to the Father's will. The Spirit ultimately points us to Christ and leads people to Christ and leads mm. us into truth. And so by doing so, we demonstrate the nature and character of God um, when we act this way horizontally to one another. And so, yeah, it matters massively. This isn't just like the best pragmatic, practical way to lead, it's the divinely inspired way mm. to lead. And. I, I think that's, you know, we're not just talking about organizational structures in a business. We're talking about leadership structures in God's church. And that mm-hmm. elevates the conversation a wee bit higher. Right. <laughs> Death, wee bit higher.
0: Yep. And so we uh, only have a little bit of summer left. Mm, we only have true. two marks two more. left. Next episode, we'll be talking about a biblical practice and understanding of prayer. Mm. Mm. Actually, the
1: next two are new in this fourth edition the so he left out in the earlier editions uh mark uh uh, that you should be looking for prayer in your church as a mark of health and the view of missions and with i think much uh kicking and screaming from others you know he eventually said yeah these are probably pretty good and not that (laughs) not that he disagreed with prayer or or global missions he was just saying like isn't that assumed that Mm -hmm. we should do that these again he was writing a book to respond to things that he was seeing going astray and awry bad examples of evangelism bad examples of church leadership no membership in a church no discipline most churches even if they're doing all of those things poorly are still praying you know Mm -hmm. they're still giving to you know missions and so he, he wasn't seeing it as a necessarily an issue that needed to be written uh, again. So, but I think now 20 years later or whatever, 25 years later or something, he added those in. Mm-hmm. So it'll be good to talk about them because they're new to uh, the discussion. Also
2: of of though, Church. we will be starting Exodus. So next week we will have two podcasts out. Yeah. We'll do an mm-hmm. on Sunday the, podcast. Yeah. One of the weeks. Yeah.
0: Or maybe this week we'll have two this, this might be the second. Yeah episode this is you're the second episode this week. this week
2: that's right so we're here too hey well, we're we, back on the on gotta, sunday podcast you're gonna dude, get bonus episodes two two podcasts a week for those of you guys who missed a podcast
0: but ultimately i mean we're the we're in leadership at this church but we can't control how you listen to the podcast
1: no we're just thankful that you do
0: Thank you for listening to this On Sunday episode of the Canby Christian Church podcast. For more information about Canby Christian Church and its ministries, visit canbychristian.org.